Good morning. So good to see you all this morning. Just want to go over a couple announcements. I'd encourage you to take a moment to read your bulletin this morning. Today's flowers have been placed by the family in loving memory of John and Marion Christoph. Uh, our Meals on Wheels will be delivered this week, so thank you to all of our volunteers. Uh, we have a full week. There's a lot of different things, but I encourage you to read this week's opportunity. did want to highlight that uh, this Friday, our youth group is going to be going to Reverb. It's a fantastic event for them. It's an all-night event. They have a, a lot of fun. There's a lot of exciting games and different things that are happening, but it's also a time where the gospel gets shared. And we want to uh, just encourage you guys to take a moment and pray for our youth at some point on Friday evening. Uh, around 10 o'clock is when someone's going to be getting up and sharing the gospel. Uh, so we really want uh, to be praying for that. We have people from our own youth group who are going who uh, may not know Christ. So we really want to be praying for that this Friday. Also coming up, uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday is our Thanksgiving Eve service and pie fellowship. So we have a service here at 7 o'clock, um, and then following that we have a pie fellowship, which is one of the highlights to Thanksgiving to me. Every, every year I enjoy eating all of the pies. So that comes uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. We also are already starting to talk about Christmas. Christmas is right around the corner, and we are going to be having our adult Christmas dinner December 2nd in the fellowship hall at 5.30. Uh, the meal will be catered by Mission Barbecue. Um, and there's information there about the cost, and I'd encourage you to read that. Uh, there's also that night going to be a cookie bake-off, so it's a great opportunity to make some great cookies and for me to try great cookies. <laughs> uh, so that'll also be that night as well. Uh, so that will be December 2nd. Uh, those are all the announcements, and now let's open up our service with a word of prayer. Lord, as we gather before you this morning, as we gather as your people, as your church, Lord, we gather as people who want to worship you. And Lord, I pray that's what we would do this morning, that our hearts would first and foremost be directed towards you and worshiping you. And Lord, we pray that as we lift up our voices in song, as we open up your word and we hear from you this morning, Lord, I pray that we would just have a meeting with you this morning, that it would be about our relationship with you and how we can strengthen that relationship. Lord, I pray that uh, through all these things that you are honored, that you are glorified within each one of our hearts. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head of all. Please stand and let's give glory to our great and powerful God. Things yet to come. 
Please be seated. We're going to be taking a moment now to go to prayer, but before I before we do, I just wanted to highlight uh, all the Christmas shoe boxes that have are all, all in front of us. Thank you to everyone who was involved. Uh, this week they'll be all getting ready to go out. They'll go to Canton Baptist who collects it in our area, then they send it out, um, and it gets going, and uh, pretty soon it'll be in the hands of kids, and that's the fantastic part of the whole thing is that uh, these shoe boxes get in the hands of kids, and then they get shared the gospel with it. They get to hear about God and the gift that he gave to us. So thank you to everyone who's involved. I did also just want to mention a thank you to the quilters that they uh, made bags that are, are going to be going into these boxes along as, as well as some of the other boxes in the area. And they made this year over 1,500 bags. Uh, so thank you to them for all their work with doing that. Let's go to prayer. Lord, we do praise you for your work in the world around us. And Lord, I do specifically praise you for uh, the work that Samaritan's Purse does with these shoeboxes and getting these shoeboxes all around the world and getting kids hearing about you. And Lord, I pray a special blessing on these shoeboxes, Lord, as they head out this week, as they uh, are in the hands of all the different workers. Lord, we pray that you'd bless all the volunteers, all the different people who are involved in it. Lord, we pray that you'd bless them for all of their efforts. And Lord, as the, as the shoebox goes out, Lord, we pray that it would be impactful in the lives of children, Lord, that it would impact people with the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would go behind these boxes, Lord, that you would show yourself to kids and your great love and your great mercy would be on display as the kids uh, just see these shoeboxes and the gifts that are inside. Lord, we pray uh, just a blessing for everyone here who was involved with this. Lord, I pray that you'd bless those hands that prepared the shoeboxes. Lord, we pray that you would uh, just encourage, encourage each one of us with what's happening, Lord, and the fact that your gospel is going out into the world through what we're doing this morning. Lord, we do also want to come before you with these other requests, Lord. There are many other things happening with our church. We do pray uh, specifically for Fred Peterson, Lord. We praise you that he's home. And Lord, we pray that he would just, uh, as he takes all these antibiotics and all that, Lord, that he would gain strength, Lord, that things would get uh, better and he would start feeling stronger. Lord, we pray for Josh Thomas this morning. And Lord, we know that, uh, Lord, he's in a very difficult position, Lord, with his diagnosis. And Lord, we do just pray as he uh, starts these procedures, Lord, that you would uh, just uh, bring about comfort to him, Lord, that you'd bring about comfort to the family. And Lord, we pray for healing, Lord. We pray that you would perform a miracle and heal his life. Uh, but Lord, we know that ultimate healing comes from you. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that Josh, that his family would be looking to you during this time. Lord, we do also pray for uh, Ed, Ed's mom, Rotha uh, Plummer, Lord, as she's at Southgate. And Lord, she's got um, COVID as, long, as well as some other uh, just a couple sicknesses, Lord. We do just pray for her that you would bring about healing uh, in her life. Lord, we do also pray for Dave Fedora, Lord, as he's going to be having a couple of procedures this week. And on Thursday, he specifically has the heart ablation, Lord, um, to try to uh, get control of his AFib and, Lord, get that kind of taken care of. Lord, we do just pray that everything would go well during those procedures. And Lord, we pray for him uh, in the meantime as he prepares for those procedures. Lord, I know that uh, he can't eat solid foods today, Lord, and uh, just different things like that. Lord, I pray that you just be with him and strengthen him as he prepares for the procedures. Lord, uh, we do uh, just pray for all the families right now who are dealing with sickness. Lord, I know that sickness is 
going around very quickly, Lord. There's a lot of people just getting different stomach bugs and different things like that, Lord. We just pray uh, for healing for anyone who's sick this morning. Lord, we do just continue to pray for Israel, Lord, and there's uh, a lot of a lot of things happening over there right now, Lord. A lot of uh, fear, a lot of um, just violence. And Lord, we pray for your hand of protection. We pray that there would be some peace that could come through the situation. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, protect your people. Lord, that you would protect uh, those who are there. And Lord, I, I pray especially for innocent lives. I pray that you would uh, protect innocent children and uh, just people who can't take care of themselves. And Lord, we do as well conti- continue to pray that the gospel would go out in that situation and everything that's happening in the Middle East. Lord, we pray for churches. We pray for missionaries who are there. We pray that they would be able to share about you, Lord, and that your word would go forth in the middle of such a great conflict. Lord, we do pray for our missionaries of the month, Lord, uh, Transworld Radio, Jim and Roberta Hill, Lord. We pray that you would uh, just bless their ministry, that you'd continue to uh, be with them, and uh, that you would just bless uh, everything that they're doing. And Lord, this morning we also want to take time to remember Veterans Day, Lord, and we do just pray, uh, praise you for our veterans and the, the service that they've done for our country. We pray especially for any of them here this morning or any of them uh, watching on the, on the streaming, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would give them a, a great day today, that you would help them to uh, just uh, feel good, Lord, and uh, uh, just rely on you. Lord, I do just pray that you would bless those who um, are, have served our country, Lord, that you would be with them. And Lord, we do pray for those who are continuing to serve our country, those who are serving right now. Lord, I pray for them, and I know that there's people over in the Middle East right now. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would protect them, that you would keep them safe. Uh, Lord, I do just pray that you would uh, surround them with your protection this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, as I just prayed, we did want to take a moment this morning and uh, just recognize and honor our veterans here uh, in in our church. Veterans Day was this past Friday, uh, so we want to take a moment and just say thank you for all that our veterans have done. Uh, I wanted to start by just reading, there's a poem, um, it's by Neil Dickinson, and I just want to take a moment and read this poem. There are times we want to forget, like when troubles and and sadness we've met, but this day in November we'll always remember the heroes whom we're in debt. They were young, full of life and ambition. But some dreams never reached their fruition. With their lives put on hold, they were daring and bold and accomplished their ultimate mission. Most returned when the battle ended, some with wounds that would never be mended. Many others did not, having died where they fought, while ensuring our home was defended. But in spirit, they'll always be here. To our hearts, they will always be near. While our eyes may be wet, we will never forget. Let's remember each day of the year. War is with us again on this day. We have daughters and sons in the fray. So let's wish them Godspeed and the wisdom we'll need so they'll never again go away. At this time, we want to uh, honor those who have served. So if you have served in the United States Army, I'd ask that you please stand. You guys can remain standing, but if you've served in the United States Navy, please stand. If you've served in the United States Marine Corps, would you please stand?
if you have served in the United States Air Force, Coast Guard, National Guard, or any other armed serv services, would you please stand? Again, thank you each one for your services. You guys may be seated. As we continue to give glory to God in song, let's sing. And children will um, be dismissed for Children's Church. If they're in first through third grade, you're dismissed. And the people waiting for you are in the back. Please stand.
seated. This morning's scripture reading is found in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, for they had departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, so Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you say to the house of, the, of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you, how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you, shall be, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Let's begin uh, the message with a word of prayer. Lord, we praise you that we get to be here this morning, that we get to open up your word and to hear from you. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning that they would hear from you, that as you speak, that, you, that they would listen. Lord, we pray for changed lives this morning. Pray these things in your name. Amen. I wanted to start off this morning by talking about mountains. I love seeing mountains. I think they're beautiful. And there are some very famous mountains in the world. This mountain is the tallest mountain in the world, which is Mount Everest, right? Mount Everest at over 29,000 feet tall. It's the tallest mountain in the world. But it's not the only tall mountain in the world. We have in the top left corner, you'll see Mount Kilimanjaro, which is the tallest mountain in Africa at over 19,000 feet high. It rise, rises right above the African plains. In the bottom right corner, you have Mont Blanc, which is the tallest mountain in the, Ap in the Alps. Um, its, lit its literal name is Mount White in French uh, because it's known for its white peaks, its snow-covered peaks. Then you have in the bottom left corner, this one's not really known for its height, but more for its odd shape, uh, Mount, uh, what was it called? Mount the Matterhorn. Uh, the Matterhorn, known for its uh, sharp, sp sharp uh, peaks, and its pyramid-like structure. And then in the top right corner, you have a, uh, another mountain that's not really known as much for uh, its height, but it's mo known more for its connection with Greek mythology, and that is Mount Olympus. 
which is the tallest mountain in Greece. And then you have uh, a non-real mountain, but one of my personal favorite mountains, and that is Mount Doom from the Lord of the Rings series. Well, this morning we're going to talk about another very famous mountain. It's one of the most famous mountains in the Bible, and that is Mount Sinai. We're continuing our series going deeper with God. Now, I do have a confession to make to all of you guys. I'm the one who put together the slide that we've been using every week, and that is not Mount Sinai. I literally just Googled a mountain, and that's just a picture of any old mountain. Uh, we don't actually know exactly where Mount Sinai is. There's some people who have debated exactly where Mount Sinai is, uh, but we are going to be talking about Mount Sinai this morning, and Israel coming to Mount Sinai. So as we've been going through this series, Moses has led Israel out of slavery and out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've wandered through the wilderness. God has provided for them with food and water in the wilderness. And then he used Jethro to help Moses as Moses was leading the people. And then here in Exodus 19, Israel finally comes to Mount Sinai. Sinai. And they're going to be here, according to Numbers chapter 10, they're going to be here for about 11 months, just right before this mountain. And over the course of that 11 months, Moses is going to go up and down from the mountain multiple times to speak with God and to bring God's word back from the people. In fact, here in the book of Exodus, Moses goes up and down the mountain about five times, uh, from my count, uh, through this book of Exodus. And as he does that, he presents to Israel a covenant. And this is a covenant that God is forming with Israel. It's typically called the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant. And it's this agreement that God is going to have to form a relationship with them to make them his nation. Now before we get actually into Exodus chapter 19, I want to start off by just talking about what a covenant is because we don't typically use the word covenant very often today. We may, you may have heard the term a marriage covenant or a church covenant. But what actually is a covenant? And the, the answer is a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. When we see covenants in the Bible, they are binding agreements typically between God and man. Now, it's in many ways like a contract, some type of agreement. However, a covenant is different than a contract in a couple important ways. The first way that a contract is different from a, uh, from a covenant is that a covenant is enforced by God, where contracts are enforced by the government. So you can try to find a loophole out of a contract. If you get a good enough lawyer, you can try to work your way out of a contract. But in covenants, it's binding because it is done with God. The second way that's different, that covenants and contracts are different, is covenants are designed to form relationships. When you, see, when you talk about the marriage covenant, it's a covenant that two people make to form a relationship. And as we see the covenants with God throughout the entire Bible, it's about God forming a relationship with man. So just a quick snapshot of some of the covenants that are in the Bible. There's the Noahic covenant, which is the covenant God makes to Noah, where he promises to never destroy the earth with a flood ever again. There's the covenant that God makes with Abraham, where he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have many descendants. They're going to have this specific land. He actually tells them what land they're going to have. And he says, those who bless them will be blessed. Those who curse them will be cursed. Another covenant is the Davidic covenant, which is the covenant God makes to David, where he says, your throne shall be established forever. You shall have a descendant that always sits on the throne. And then there's, in Jeremiah, this new covenant in which God says, I will be 
their God and they will be my people. I will write my law on their hearts. But what we're going to talk about this morning is none of those covenants. It's the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant, which is the covenant God makes with Israel right here in Exodus and the following books. So let's start off by reading, starting in verse, chapter 19, verse 1. We'll read about this covenant. It says, On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on, the, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They sent out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came down and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So here we have the covenant between God and Israel being formed. It's important to note that there's a mediator of the covenant, and that mediator is Moses. Moses is the go-between between the people and the Lord. So he goes up on the mountain and hears the words of the Lord. He brings it down and tells the people, and the people respond, and then he actually goes back up on the mountain and reports that to God. Now, is he needed to be the mediator? No, because God hears Israel and what they're saying, but God chose him to be the mediator, to be the one to go between, to make this a formal agreement between the two parties. And it's a covenant that God makes with Israel. And what's interesting is as God's about to give the covenant, he starts with a reminder to Israel about what he's already done. He says, remember you were in Egypt and I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out of Egypt. That's important because God always acts first. He never asks anything of anyone without already having asked, a- acted first. He saved Israel first and then formed this covenant. In the same way, he saves us first. He sent Jesus to die on the cross before any of us were even born. He acted first for us. And then God lays out the beginning of this covenant. Now, to be honest, this is really just the beginning of the covenant. The covenant is actually like the next 12 chapters of Exodus, the entire book of Leviticus, a bunch of chapters from Numbers, and it's repeated in Deuteronomy. So it's quite a long covenant. We're not going to cover all of it this morning. But this is a summary of the covenant. And what's interesting is that it is a conditional covenant. And what that means is God says there's a condition that Israel has to abide by within the covenant. And that condition is, he says, if you obey my voice and keep the covenant. And then he says, then what's going to happen? He says, then I'm going to have you as a treasured people, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. They're going to be special. This is a covenant about forming a relationship between God and Israel. But he starts off with this condition. And that condition is obeying God. And in the coming chapters, and we're going to start getting into this a little bit next week, in the coming chapters, God, looks, God starts to reveal what obeying him actually looks like. 
He starts to spell that out in detail, but he starts off with just this general statement. If you obey me and keep the covenant, then you will be to me a treasured people. Now, what's important to note about this covenant is that it is both conditional in the sense that if they obey God, there are good things that will happen, but later in the covenant and in Leviticus chapter 26, it's, it's specifically spelled out, God says there's going to be consequences if you don't obey this covenant either. In either way, Israel doesn't get out of the covenant. Whether they obey God or whether they disobey God, they're still within the covenant. It just affects the consequences. Here's an example kind of, uh, to kind of explain that a little bit. Uh, in parenting, there's a couple of different ways you can, uh, talk, you can try to enforce things to your children. You can try an incentive-based approach where you say, hey, kids, if you eat all your food, then afterwards we'll have ice cream. Or there's the consequence-based approach where you said, hey, kids, if you don't eat your food, then you're going to bed early tonight and you're not having any, any special thing. And typically, either way you do it, if the kid goes against that, then they're out of it. But God, instead, he gives both. He says, if you obey me, then good things are going to happen. And if you disobey me, then bad things are going to happen. It would be like saying to your kids, if you eat your food, we'll get ice cream. But if you don't eat your food, then you're going to bed early. Then the choice is up to the kids because there's no way out of what you said. They can't say, oh, I, I'm not going to eat my food. I guess I don't get ice cream, but I'm going to stay up late. It's like, no, you, didn't, you don't understand. That's not how this worked. I gave consequences to either action. And God's going to spell out consequences to Israel, both for obeying him and for disobeying him. Those consequences are spelled out in Leviticus chapter 26 and repeated in Deuteronomy 28. They're described as blessings that will come if they obey God and curses that will come if they disobey God. So as all of that is given out, that spells out for us the rest of the Old Testament. As Israel continues to interact with God through Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and all of those books, we see that as Israel obeys God, God blesses them. And as Israel disobeys God, then curses come upon them. There are consequences to their actions either way. But what's important is all the way back here in chapter 19, what happens? Israel agrees to this covenant. And that's important, right? This isn't God forcing a covenant onto Israel. In fact, Moses specifically comes down and the people say in verse 8, says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We are entering into this con covenant with God. It's an agreed upon covenant between Israel and the Lord. So the question that we have to ask today is, are we under this covenant? And the answer to that is no. If we were, we would already be failed, the covenant, because we have not obeyed God's voice. But instead, we get a new covenant that Christ brings when he uh, says uh, during communion, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. We enter into a new covenant with God, and that new covenant comes with a condition, and that condition is the blood of Christ. And that condition has already been met when Jesus died on the cross for us. So if we believe in him, we get to have this covenant relationship with God. We get to have a relationship with him. Not because of anything we've done, not because of obeying God, but because of Jesus' blood on the cross for our sins. 
So then that brings up a question. The question is, why are we then talking about this today? If we're not under the Mosaic Covenant, why would we talk about this today? And I'll give three quick reasons. The first one is it defines how we read the Old Testament. As we read the rest of the Old Testament, we should be seeing it all in light of this covenant that God makes with Israel. As you read through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, and you read these kings come up, and whether they are good kings or bad kings, we should expect that there's going to be consequences of their actions on the nation of Israel. And when you read the prophets, the prophets constantly are telling Israel, listen, you guys are disobeying God, and the covenant has already been written that if you continue this, disaster is going to come. And that's really the prophet's message in a nutshell, is going back to this covenant, now, they have more specifics because God's given them a future about what the, that destruction is going to look like. But they just keep going back to this covenant and saying, Israel, you're breaking the covenant. You need to turn back to God. This defines how we read everything else in the Old Testament. There's a second reason that the Mosaic Covenant matters today, and that's that it teaches us about the reality of our sin. Romans 3.20 says it like this, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. And what that means is as we read the pages of these covenants, we read the expectation that God leads, uh, lays out for us, we should come to the reality that we fail that. That we would fail any standard set out by God because we are sinners. The reality of our sin is on display as we work our way through the covenant. And that brings us to the third thing that it does, and that's that it leads us to Christ. Galatians, Galatians 3, verse 24 says this, So then the law was our guardian or tutor until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And what that means is that the law was specifically designed to teach us, to lead us to Christ. That as we read the Mosaic law, as we read the covenant that God lays out, we should be realizing as we realize our sin, we should be realizing we need help, and that help cannot come from within us. It needs to come from somebody else, and that somebody else is Christ. So the Mosaic Law is specifically designed to lead us to Christ. So starting next week, we're going to start getting into Exodus chapter 20, which is with the beginning of the covenant law laid out in, in the Ten Commandments. But today, before we get there, I want to talk two things that this passage will also teach us about God before we get into His Ten Commandments. And there's two lessons that we're going to learn about God, and this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of this time. The first one is that God is holy. See, God is going to meet Israel here to form this covenant with them. And let's read how God goes about doing that, starting in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 19. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for, uh, be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. 
When the trumpet sounds the long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So God comes to Moses. He says, Listen, Moses, I'm going to come down to meet with Israel to form this covenant. But I can't just like stop by for a bite to eat. I can't just, we can't just go grab a, uh, have a coffee date or something like that. There has to be some prep that's done before I come. I can't just stop by. He says, Moses, you need to get them ready. He gives Moses two things that he says you need to do to get them ready. The first is that they have to consecrate themselves. To consecrate themselves means to purify themselves, to make themselves holy. He says the way you go about doing that is starting by cleaning all of your garments. Now, imagine for a second if Moses told all the people, and remember how many people we've talked about are in Israel at the time. He says, hey, you guys have two days. You all need to have clean clothes. Imagine the backup that's going to be at the, at the little watering area as everyone's trying to get their clothes clean. But that's what happens. He says everyone needs to have clean clothes. You need to clean your clothes. And then he says you have to uh, refrain from marriage union for the next two days. You need to uh, mentally get yourself ready to meet with God. So that's the first thing is that they have to consecrate themselves. The second thing that God tells Moses to do is set up boundaries. Say there's got to be distance between Israel and myself. He says you have to set markers all around the mountain. He says if anyone steps on the mountain, the consequence is death. For man or beast, anyone who steps on the mountain is death. Now imagine for a second how Israel would have responded to that when they came from Egypt where all the Egyptian gods could be held in your hand. You would literally have an idol that you would carry around and your God could be something so easy to touch. And now God's saying... Not only don't touch me, but don't even come near the mountain. Set up boundaries. Nobody's allowed to step foot on this mountain because I am so much greater than all those false gods that you were holding in Egypt. Nobody even steps on this mountain because of who I am. That God is holy. You see, he gave them this restriction because he wanted to teach them something, and that's that they needed to respect God's holiness. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn today, that we need to respect God's holiness. I think one of the beautiful things that we see, especially as we get to the New Testament, is that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we get to have an intimate relationship with God, or we get to call him Abba, Father. And there's this beautiful intimacy in that. But my fear is that sometimes we allow that intimacy to help us, or to make us forget that God is also a holy God. Notice here on the mountain, he, God is forming a relationship with Israel, a relationship that he will go on later to call them his bride. So it's this intimate relationship he's forming with this nation. But in the middle of all of that, he still needs to make sure that they know they need to respect how holy he is. They can't just treat him flippantly. They can't just treat him casually. And I think that's what we need to remember today, that even as we have an intimate relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we need to remember that God is still holy. We can't just casually treat him. We can't just be very uh, casual with him. We need to respect his holiness. Now, I think when you talk about these two ideas, you can go to two different extremes. You can be only focused on the intimacy of God, where you say, uh, it's just about me and God. He's just my dad. 
and there's no respect of his holiness. But I think you can go the other way as well, where you're all about the holiness of God, and you forget the fact that we have boldness to enter his presence because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and we get to have an intimate relationship with him. So I warn against both extremes, right? Don't overfocus on God's holiness. Don't overfocus on the closeness that we have with him, but instead put those two together. And remember that we have a holy God that we get to call our Father. And that's a beautiful thing. The other thing that we can learn from this is we learn what holiness looks like, and we learn that we are also called to be holy. Notice what God says is Israel has to consecrate themselves before they can meet with him. And as we get to the New Testament, we see that we are called as people to be holy for the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That as we see the holiness of God put on display, it says that we are called to be like that. We're called to be like God and the fact that we are to be holy. Now, what it means by that is not that we're supposed to be on a mountain and nobody's allowed to touch the mountain. No, what it means by that is we're supposed to be holy in relation to our sin. We're supposed to be giving up our sin and pursuing righteousness. We're supposed to be set apart from the world. We're no longer supposed to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be holy for the Lord. The second thing that we see about God here on Mount Sinai is we see his power. Let's read starting in verse 16 as God comes on the mountain, and we'll see how this plays out. Starting in verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like, a, like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So God comes on the mountain, and what do we see? We see power on display. Thunder and lightning, the mountain itself trembles. There's this huge smoke that descends on the mountain as God descends on it in a fire. And the smoke engulfs the entire mountain. It says that there's this trumpet that just grows louder and louder as God speaks out of thunder. This is power on display. In a couple chapters in Exodus 24, it's described as a consuming fire on the mountain. It says that the response of the people was to tremble. I don't think at that moment that Moses had to worry about anyone stepping on the foot of the mountain. I think people were scared right at that moment that they were going to stay away from the mountain because the, the display that God put forward was pure power. So the question that we have to ask is why would God do that? We know at other times in the Bible when God meets with people, he doesn't meet in this huge type of power. In fact, with Moses, he met him with a simple burning bush. With Elijah, he met him with a gentle whisper. Why does God meet with Israel with this much power on display? And I think the reason is because God's about to enter into this covenant with Israel, and he wants Israel to know who they're dealing with. 
They, he wants Israel to know, hey, when I say if you disobey my covenant, there will be consequences, there will be. When I say if you obey my uh, covenant, I will bless you, I am, I am able to bless you. I am powerful. I am the creator of the universe. He wanted Israel to know that, the, that their covenant was not a meeting of two equal parties. It was the God of the universe meeting with man. And that's important when we talk about our covenant with God. As we talk about the new covenant, as we talk about the covenant of Christ's blood for us, we need to remember that it is not between two equal parties. We are not equal partners with God in the covenant. He is the great God, the creator of the entire universe, the one who shook a mountain with thunder and lightning. And we are man. When David reflects on it, David says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Like, David is in such awe of the fact that God would want to form a relationship with us because he says we are so insignificant to you. The only real uh, comparison that I can even start to create, and this isn't even a great, this isn't even a perfect comparison, but it would be the relationship between us and ants that are walking along the ground. And, and, you know, when we see ants, we could either take notice of them or we could completely ignore them. We could choose to kill them, but oftentimes we don't even bother to do that because ants are so insignificant. We don't even bother to kill them. We don't even bother to worry about them in any situation. And in many ways, God could e- very easily view us like that. But he doesn't. Why doesn't he? The answer is because of his great love, his great mercy, his great compassion, and his grace. That the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who shakes a mountain with thunder and lightning, that he would want to form a relationship with us through a covenant. Think about that. That God, in his rich mercy and grace and compassion, cares about us enough to want to form this relationship with us through the blood of his own son. And the other thing we have to remember in this is once we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that that power of God is at work within us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to his power that is at work within us. God is able to do so much more than we could ask him and so much more than we could even think about But the end of that verse says, according to his power, does it work within us? Think about that for a moment. The power that shook a mountain. The power that made the people tremble. It says it's at work within us. That each one of us, when the Holy Spirit enters us and we place our faith in Jesus Christ, have God's power in us. Now, that doesn't mean we're some superhero that gets to fly around and shoot lasers out of their eyes. But it does mean that we have God's power as we serve him, as we share to other people about him, as we teach people about God's word. His power is at work within us. We don't have anything to fear because we have God. That should give us confidence in how we live our everyday life, that we are not meant to be people living in fear. We are meant to be people who believe that God, with his infinite power, is at work within each one of us. That's amazing. That should give us confidence as we live out things today. 
So in conclusion, this whole chapter is about God beginning this covenant with Israel. We'll continue it next week to look into more details about uh, the stipulations that God gives around his covenant. But I wanted to go back and talk one more time about our relationship with God. The covenant in Christ's blood. It's about a relationship. It's about God being holy, being powerful, choosing to care about us and choosing to form a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? If you're not a part of that relationship, I'd encourage you this morning to, talk, to pray to God, to say, God, I want to enter into this relationship with you. I want to be in a relationship. And it can only be done through the blood of Jesus Christ. It can only be done through believing in the cross. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you, talk to me, talk to somebody after the service. We would love to talk to you about it. God loves us and wants to be in a relationship with us. So let's turn to him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we praise you for your holiness and for your power. We praise you that you are so much greater than us that there's no real comparison. There's no way that we could be compared in holiness or power to you if we were left to ourselves. But Lord, we praise you that you love us anyway. That you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That you had Moses form the covenant with Israel because you love Israel. And you sent Christ for us because you love us. Lord, I pray that we would look to you, to the relationship that we have with you, to the fact that we are now called to be like you in holiness. Lord, we're called that we uh, have your power within us. Lord, I pray that we would become more like you in how we live our lives. Lord, I pray that it's all for your honor and your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, the Israelites, I'm sure, were a bit overwhelmed at the base of Mount Sinai when they saw God's power. And we also, when we think about the power of the cross, should also have those feelings of being overwhelmed. Please stand.
As we go out today, I pray that you are overwhelmed by God, by the greatness of his power, and by the power of his love for each one of us. Lord, we pray as we go out that we would be amazed by you, that every day we would be amazed in a new way at how great you are, how powerful you are, how holy you are, and how loving you are how merciful you are, how compassionate you are to care about even me. Pray these things in your name. Amen.